The sermon text for this morning is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Please follow along with me. I'll be reading 1 John 1, beginning verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, I'm so deeply grateful for your word. I'm so greatly, deeply grateful for the light that you spread abroad as you speak to us. Oh, God of light, please come now and shed your light into our lives. We so need to hear what you have to say to us today. And I thank you that on the basis of who you are, you have a will for how we ought to live, and I pray that you ought to make that way clear to us that we might live underneath the waterfall of your grace and of your fellowship and of your joy. And for what you will do this morning, Father, for how you will speak to us, for how you will stir in our lives and shape our way of life, I give you my thanks and praise in the great and gracious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week we learned that there is an important and inalterable distinction or relationship between authority and truth and morality. I pressed on that pretty hard last week, and I want to press on that again this week. Authority, truth, and morality. As that relates to God, God created all things from nothing with nothing more than the words of his power. And because God created all things of his own self, he naturally has authority over all things. All authority belongs to God, and it is absolute. On the basis of God's authority, God has revealed many things about his glory through creation and through his word, which is the Bible. In other words, on the basis of God's authority, he has revealed the truth. And then on the basis of the truth that he has revealed mainly about himself and then about other things, God has commanded a certain way of life for human beings. He has commanded a certain kind of morality. He has taught us how we ought to live with regard to him, with regard to each other, with regard to the world, and even with regard to creation. The authority of God leads to the revelation of God, leads to the morality that God desires for his people. There is an inalterable link between authority, truth, and morality. When false teachers come along, They sometimes begin in one place and they sometimes begin in another, but they always seek to refashion these things. Take note of that. They always seek to refashion authority, truth, and morality. In John's day, some false teachers that had risen up from within the church began with authority and they worked their way down. When John was exiled to the island of Patmos, they took advantage of his absence. 
And they began in the life of the church to undermine the authority of the apostles. Just imagine that. Imagine that for some reason both Pastor Kevin and I were removed from your presence, not because we're on sabbatical or vacation, but because we had been arrested for the sake of the gospel. And while we're away, happily suffering for the glory of God and the joy of our souls, wolves rise up from within the church and begin to try to deceive you. And the way they do it, first of all, is to diminish and demean our authority and press, push that aside. That's what was happening in John's church, but it was even more serious for them because the apostles were the ones sent out to authoritatively proclaim the gospel to the world in a once-for-all fashion, right? The, the proclamation of the apostles that was preserved in the New Testament is utterly unique, and these wolves rose up from within the church to set that aside so that they could replace it. And as they began to undermine the authority of the apostles, they began to refashion the, their teaching about God. They had pretended to accept the gospel as it was preached, but they did not accept the gospel as it was preached. They actually believed Greek ideas about God, and they began to proclaim this in the life of the church. They believed very different things about reality, and they began to proclaim this in the life of the church. And as they proclaimed this, they also proclaimed an alternative reality, of, uh, an alternative morality to the church. As I told you last time, Every time we alter our beliefs about who God is, we necessarily alter our beliefs about everything else. One thing that always follows when our teaching about who God is changes is that morality changes, and that's what these wolves did. They began with authority and worked their way right down to morality. This is why John began his letter by pressing on these things. He reasserted the authority of God in Christ he reasserted a, a biblical vision, a, a historically accurate vision of the being of God the Father and of God the Son. And then beginning in verses 6 through 10, he starts to spell out the moral implications of these things. Please understand what he's doing. He's standing up to the wolves by reasserting, reasserting the authority of God, the truth of God, and the morality of God. In our day, we are facing some very powerful forces from outside the church and some very fierce wolves who have risen up from within the church. And while they have probably started at different points, I think as a whole they have begun with morality and worked their way up the line. What I mean is that in our day we have given in to this thought, even people from within the church that claim to be leaders and pastors and stewards of the words of God have bought into the false idea that people are defined by how they feel about themselves. And they have begun to teach us in the name of God that gender is a social construct and not a created thing by God that is a gift from him and that is beautiful in its diversity and in its unity. They have begun to teach us in the name of God that gender is a spectrum and that people are free to choose to be wherever they want on that spectrum and still be embraced by God. They have begun to teach us that love is the main thing. And people ought to be allowed to love whomever they want and to marry whomever they want in the name of God and even in the very house of God. They have begun by refashioning morality and then to fit their morality, they have reshaped God. They have taken biblical concepts, they have taken biblical language, and they have taught new things about God to justify what they're doing. And in order to do that, they have also had to undermine the authority of the Bible, the authority of the church, and the long-standing history and traditions of the church. They are attacking these three things, authority, 
truth, and morality. The order is really not that important. The bottom line is, and please take note of this, every false teacher that rises up within the church will attack these three things in whatever order, authority, truth, and morality. The particulars between what John was facing and what we're facing in our day are different, but the core problem is exactly the same, and so we have a lot to learn from John. We have a lot that we can glean from him about how to stand up to the wolves that have risen up within our church in the, in the United States of America. I don't mean this church in particular so much, but I do mean churches in our city. I do mean that for sure. I'm in some pretty hot debates with so-called evangelical leaders of so-called evangelical ministries in our city right now over these very things. It breaks my heart, beloved. People in our city are redefining the things of God in the name of God, and it breaks my heart. And we have a lot that we can learn, a lot that we can learn from the Apostle John as we look at how he faced down the wolves of his day. You'll remember from last week that he began this most recent section, John 1, 5 to 10, by again reasserting something crucial about God. Here's who God is. God is light, and in him there is no darkness whatsoever. God is all glory and completely absent of the opposite of glory, whatever that would be. And it is a, a number of things. But those things are completely absent from God. God is perfect righteousness and holiness. And all unholiness and unrighteousness is completely absent in God. Then in verses 6 through 10, he begins to draw out the moral implications for us. He touches on three specific things. And we're going to work through those things one at a time. But before we get into the details, I just want to press you again to notice what he's doing. He's reasserting authority. He's reasserting truth about God. And then he begins to reassert the morality that flows from this vision of God. Authority, truth, and morality. Really in that order. And you'll notice in verses 3 and 4 that the reason John is doing this to the church and for the church is because he wants us to come into the fullness of fellowship with God that we might have the fullness of joy that God has stored up for us. John writes to intensify our joy forever. That's what he's up to. That's what he's about. And I pray that in 2019, God will allow him to accomplish this design in our midst. I pray that as we submit to the wisdom that John lays out for us here this morning and throughout this year, that we will be happier people as we progress in this journey. So let's see what John has to say now. Having declared that God is light and that in him is no darkness whatsoever, John draws out the first moral implication in verses six and seven. He writes this. If we say that we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness, guess what? We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The issue here, beloved, is one of hypocrisy. The issue that John begins with is one of saying one thing and doing another. The issue that John begins by addressing is claiming that we know God while not walking with God at all, by doing the things that God forbids, by delighting in the things that God forbids, by promoting the things that God forbids. John begins with hypocrisy. And while John was surely addressing the hypocrisy of those who had risen up from within the church against the church, 
It just touches my heart so deeply that he states his point in such a way as to include himself and to include every other leader in the church and to include every other Christian in the world. Please notice, he did not say, if you say these things, or if those people say these things. He said, if we say these things. John is laying out universal principles that apply to him. And one thing that I take from this is that he stands up to the wolves with boldness, but also with humility. John is not standing up to the wolves and saying that, essentially comparing himself to them, Rather, John is saying, listen, I'm in the same boat, and if I do what you have done, I'm in the same trouble that you're in. This is about God. This is not about me. This is not about the apostles exactly. It might be about what God has invested in us, but this is primarily about God. If we say we have fellowship with God and walk in the light, we're liars too, and we do not practice the truth. I love this about him. Let's learn this from John, beloved. We have to stand up to wolves in our day, but I pray that as we do, we'll do it with humility and with love. I really do. I pray that we will work very hard to excise from our heart any hatred we might have of people who struggle with gender, with sexuality, with marriage, with the onslaught of new ideas that are just coming over our culture like a tidal wave. Oh, how I pray that God will fill us with compassion, even compassion for those who are rising up to preach lies in the name of him who is light. Let us be humble before our opponents. When John speaks of walking in the darkness, I wanna be clear that he's referring to a way of life. What I'm saying is that he's not addressing people who are truly walking with God and yet still struggle with their sin because don't we all still struggle with our sin? John is gonna make clear here in just a little while that we all struggle with sin. John himself surely continued to struggle with sin. He was a son of light, but there were still shadows in his life. He was not all light. There was a little bit of darkness left in John, even though God had been so gracious to him. He's not talking about sincere believers who continue to struggle with sin. John is addressing people who claim to know God and yet continually live in a way that is not pleasing to God and they celebrate that way of life. They adjust their vision of God, their vision of authority, their vision of morality to fit their needs. That's what John is talking about. He's addressing people who claim to know God and yet live outside of the light of God. And the way you live outside of God's light is you withdraw from him as a person. God is a person, not a concept, he's a person. The way you draw out of the light is by drawing away from God. And one of the primary ways we draw away from God is by drawing away from his word. Let me just quote to you two verses from King David that help us to connect the word of God and the light of God. There's so many places. I could give a whole sermon about the connection between the word of God and light, but let me just quote two things for you. One will be familiar, one probably not so familiar. David said in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, I live by the light of God when I live by the word of God. When I look at the words of God, I gain light for life. When I meditate on the words of God, I live with the God of light. And to separate myself from the light of God is to separate myself from his words. The speech of God is what causes the light of God to actually shine in the world, beloved. Those who say they have fellowship with God and hide themselves from his word, or fill their minds with other things, constantly with other things. 
they're not walking in fellowship with God. I'm not necessarily saying that they're not saved because sometimes we all struggle to give God's word its rightful place in our lives, but I am saying that to hide yourself from his word is to hide yourself from his light. David says a little later in Psalm 119, verses 130 and 131, the unfolding of your words gives light. I love that metaphor. As the words of God are unfolded in the presence of God's people, you know what happens? Light begins to shine. As the Bible is open, as the Bible is explained, as the Bible is understood, it's like the sun coming up over the horizon of our lives. And light begins to shine and and we live in that light of God. And then David goes on to say, it imparts understanding to the simple. It shows people like us how to live, how to actually walk how to live our, carry out our lives in this world. I open my mouth and pant, David said. Why? Because I long for your commandments. I long for your light. I love your light. I live by your light. I want your light. I pursue your light. Beloved, the words of God is the way that the light of God shines in the darkness of this world. And to live in darkness is to live outside of his fellowship by living outside of the light of his words. John is addressing people who say they know God and yet systematically and regularly ignore the words of God, ignore the light of God. They do not live by his will, by his words, by his ways. And when people live in this way, here is what is true of us. John says we are liars and we do not practice the truth. John is the gentle apostle for sure, but he knows how to say the truth, does he not? Listen, here's the bottom line. If you're hearing this message right now and you feel like it's describing you, John has a word for you. If you're claiming to know God and you're living outside of the light of God, you are a liar and you're not practicing the truth. The reason that this makes us liars is because it is not possible to have a relationship with the God of light and yet continually live outside of his light. It is not possible to know the God of light is to have a relationship with him, and he is light. So how can you know the God who is light and live outside of light? If you claim both of these things, you're you're a liar. It's really very simple. And the reason that this makes us hypocrites is, is because we're living two lives, we're living a double life. You know the word hypocrisy in Greek means to like put on a mask and to pretend to be something that you're not. So that when in certain contexts you come and say, listen, I'm a person who walks with God. I know God. I love God. And yet the truth is that in the secrecy of your life, you have very little to do with God. You are a hypocrite. You are an actor. You are essentially a liar. And so am I. So am I. So would John be. Anybody who does this is a liar. Now with regard to truth, truth is not something just to be understood and believed. Truth is something to be practiced. One mistake I I think we make in theologically-minded churches like ours is that we put so much emphasis on believing the truth and getting the truth right in all of its details, and we don't put enough emphasis on the behavioral aspects of this. To truly know the truth is to apply the truth to your life. And if you don't come to a place of understanding a truth and applying it to your life, I'm not so sure you should say that you believe that truth. Truth has to do with belief and application. And when we claim to know God and we do not apply his truth, then we're not practicing the truth. We're not being consistent believers. We are demonstrating that we do not know God. 
When Jesus gathered with his disciples right before his ascension into heaven, he told them to go into the world and make disciples in his name. He told them then to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit. And then he said, do this, teach them to observe everything I've commanded them. Teach them obedience. Teach them to walk in the light of my truth. Don't just teach them to believe things in their heads. Teach them to live a particular way of life. That particular way of life earns us nothing before God, beloved, but it shows something very serious. It shows that we have come to know God and that we walk in his light. When by his grace and by his power we live by his wisdom, we show that we know him. And when we claim to know him but we don't walk by his wisdom, we show that in fact we are liars and we do not practice the truth. A tree is known by its fruits, and you know what else? A soul is known by its behavior, period. In our house right now, we have a crabapple tree. We've never had a crabapple tree before, so you know how I discovered we had a crabapple tree? A few years ago when we moved into this house, it came some spring day or early summer day, whenever it was, I drove into the house and I was just stunned by the blooms on this tree. I was like, oh my gosh, that is like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And just about the time I started enjoying it, all the blooms were gone, right? I feel like it lasted about two minutes. And then there were crab apples. It was proved to us that we had a crab apple tree because of the blooms and the fruit, period. In the same way a soul is proved by its behavior. We can say whatever we want to say about our relationship with God, but you know what tells the truth? Our way of life. Our way of life earns us nothing before God, but it is a fruit that shows what God has done in us. And this is what John is trying to say. If we claim to know God and yet we live outside of his light, we are liars and we are not practicing the truth. Our behavior reveals who we truly are. Having raised this issue of hypocrisy, John now in verse seven shows us a better way. Let me read it for you again. But if instead of that, if instead of being hypocrites, if we will walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When John speaks of walking in the light here, again, he's talking about a way of life. He's not talking about just intermittently coming into the light. He's not talking about seeing Jesus as a sort of hobby. Like, yeah, I'm really interested in Jesus. I like like to go to church, and then I like to go do the things that are more interesting to me. He's not talking about Jesus as one part of many parts of our lives. He's talking about a way of life that's actually centered on Jesus Christ. Not talking about perfection, that's for sure. Not talking about absolute obedience with no disobedience. We're all this odd mixture of darkness and light in us and God is so gracious to us, he's so patient with us, but he is talking about a life that is marked by desire for Christ. He is talking about that. He's saying that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we love Christ more than we love anything else, then some things are true of us. To know God is to live in the light of God with the God of light. Let me say that to you again. Please hear that. To know God is to, as a way of life, to live in the light of God with the God of light. And when we learn that way of life, beloved, a couple things characterize us, characterize our lives. First of all, John says that when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with whom? With one another, right? Now, that probably surprises you a little bit. I think we would normally expect John to to complete this sentence by saying if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with who? With God, right? 
This is how you'd expect him to complete his sentence. And people for centuries have puzzled as to why John wrote the sentence this way. But I think in a way he's already said that to walk in the light is to have fellowship with God. To walk in the light as God is in the light is to do our life in the light. It is to have a life with God. Not that it's just about the subject of God, it's to have a life with God. To walk in the light as God is in the light is to walk with God. It is to have fellowship. He's already said this. So now he's adding something else. To walk in the light as God is in the light is to have fellowship with everybody else who is also in the light. To be one with God in Christ is to be one with everyone else who is one with God in Christ. To have unity with him is to have unity with everybody else who also has unity with him. This is why we're so serious about church membership and making visible commitments to one another because we want to shout to the world with our behavior that we are unified in Christ and that because we have him, we have each other. Because he is committed to us and we are committed to him, we are also committed to one another. Beloved, in the mind of God, these two fellowships are one fellowship. To have fellowship with the God of light is to have fellowship with everybody who walks in the light. We are actually unified with everybody who is in Christ. And so what we want to do is display that by our behavior. Now one of the reasons I think John is raising this issue is because the wolves who had risen up inside the church actually broke off from the church and took some of the people away from the church. They broke fellowship with the church. They were claiming to know God and yet they rejected the church to do their own thing. They were claiming to know God, and yet they walked away from the people of God. But their arrogant attitudes and their divisive actions were proof positive of this. They were not walking in the light, and they did not know the God of light. If they knew the God of light, they would have walked in the light. And if they would have walked in the light, they would have had fellowship with everybody else who is also in the light. There are times when people separate from the church because of various things in their lives, pains they've experienced or what have you, I would never say that somebody who is separated from the church is not saved and is not in God. That's not for me to say. But what I will tell you with with utter confidence, hopefully humility before you as well, but with utter confidence, is that a person who truly knows the God of light has an irrepressible passion to be connected with other people who are also unified with the God of light. To have passion for God is to have passion for his people. And I promise you that if you have endured some difficult things in the life of churches that you've been a part of, so have I. And I'll bet you I've endured things much more difficult than you have simply because I'm a pastor. And we have to see things and endure things that many people do not but I'm not unified to the church because of you. I'm unified to the church because of God. And in God, for God, through God, by the grace of God and for the glory of God, I am happily united to people like you. I love you. I have committed myself to you because God is working in me and God is working in you. It is not possible to be truly connected to the God of light and disconnected from other people who are in the light. I know that there are seasons and times when people separate from the church. What I'm just saying is that in the heart of a true believer, there is this passion to be connected. And in John's case, the wolves who rose up and broke away from the church proved by that breaking away 
that they actually did not know the God of light. The second thing that John says characterizes the lives of those who walk in the light is God is in the light. This is a stunning, beautiful thing is that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John is saying that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is constantly applied to people who constantly walk with him. And I put it that way because the word cleanses is in the present tense and it's referring to ongoing cleansing. Please get this picture, this is very important. This is not just some small theological detail. John is not saying that if you believe in God, you will be once for all cleansed. That's what we call justification. That does happen. John here is talking about the process of sanctification, and he is saying as you walk with God and walk with God and walk with God, he's going to cleanse you and cleanse you and cleanse you and cleanse you. As you walk in the light, as God is in the light, the blood of Jesus will extinguish darkness and cause the light to shine in you. It will cleanse you from unholiness and cause the passion and reality of holiness to rise up from within you. As you walk and walk and walk by grace, you will be cleansed and cleansed and cleansed by grace. Oh, beloved, the beautiful reality for those who are in Christ is that to be in Christ is to live under a waterfall of grace that just never stops. It never, ever stops. And I want to suggest to you that this is a better life than hypocrisy. The reason people live hypocritical lives is because they think they're going to get something really good out of it. They're not. The way to get something really, really good out of life is to live in the light of God and to sit under the waterfall of the grace of God in Christ both now and forevermore, not only alone but also together. As the people of God, we live by the grace of God and the joy of God rises up within us. If you'll think about this for a moment, this idea that the blood of Christ continually cleanses us means that Christians will continue to struggle with sin. John is not suggesting that true true Christians have no darkness in them. He didn't say that about us. He said that about God. There's no darkness in God. But John is also saying that true Christians do not rejoice in their sin. They cannot continue to live in their sin and also be at peace with God and one another. They cannot. True Christians come into the light and they come into the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. They come under the waterfall of grace that cleanses them from all unrighteousness, from all sin, that extinguishes all of the darkness out of their lives. This is the grace of God in Christ. Now, beloved, before we move on to the next point, I just want to make sure we understand what's happening here. The reality of the being of God is what determines the nature of the morality that God commands. Okay, truth dictates morality. Who God is dictates what he commands. Make sure you're making this connection. Because God is light, hypocrisy is disallowed. Because God is light, he does not want us to be liars. Because God is light, he does not want us to fail to practice the truth. He wants us to come into his light, to rejoice in his light, to live by his light and to be truth-tellers, to be holy people in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our speech, and in our behavior. God's being determines the moral vision that he has for his people. John, with that, draws our attention to a second implication. If you look in verses eight through nine, he says, if we say we have no sin, 
We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The issue here is an issue of pride. The issue here is one of denying that we have a sin problem before God or that that problem is very serious. It's a pride issue. It's an issue of saying, God, I will determine the seriousness of X, Y, and Z in my life and not you. It's a way of standing up to God and essentially claiming to be our own God. Now there are several texts in the Gospel of John, I think I put them up on the PowerPoint if you're interested in that, that help us, under, help us understand this phrase, if we say we do not have sin. When you look at all that John has written and that Jesus has said, I think what John is saying is something like this. If we say we have no guilt before God because of sin, he's not so much addressing the people who, who would deny that we have a sin nature. I don't think that's what John has in mind. I think he has in mind people who think that sin is not a big deal and that our sin does not put us in peril with God. There was groups of people in the church of his day that taught that the body was just a covering for our spirit and that the idea of life was to get free from the body so that we could live in a purely spiritual life. Not a biblical idea, but that is what they believed from their greater cultural context. And so they taught this kind of morality then. They said that life in the body does not matter. I might sin, but it isn't important. I don't have a sin problem. In fact, one of their favorite sayings was this. They used to say, sin gloriously in your body. What they meant was indulge your flesh because it doesn't really matter. Eat and drink today for tomorrow we die. It doesn't really matter. Morality now is not relevant. Sin, if there is such a thing, is not a problem in the sight of God. Whatever the details of what John was actually facing down though, we can say this for sure. He had in mind people who think that sin is not serious and think that sin presents little to no problems for us in the sight of God. But John says that if we say this in any way, shape, or form, if we minimize or deny our sins, then here's what is true of us. We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Greek word for deceit here means to lead astray. It means to wander away. And please hear what John is saying. He's saying that if you deny that you have a sin issue with God and that your sin is serious before God, you are leading yourself astray. You are leading yourself to wander. Nobody else is doing this to you. You are doing this to yourself. One of the chief principles of salvation is that we begin to take responsibility for our part. I am an inheritor of a nature of sin that comes from Adam and Eve. I am. But my sin is my sin too. I have rebelled against God. And we will do well to own this. The devil did not make us do these things. He had his part to play, but we did it. The world did not make us do these things. The world has its part to play, but we have led ourselves astray. Our family, our friends, our acquaintances did not force us to leave out of the light of God. We have chosen to leave out the light of God. Beloved, when we minimize or deny our sin, we deceive ourselves. We are the blind leading our own blind selves astray. When we live by our own false narratives, we prove that the truth is not in us because we live in a way that is contrary to the truth of God. God has clearly and compassionately and repeatedly taught us 
that we do have a sin problem. He has taught us that our life in our physical body matters, that our behavior in our physical body matters. God has taught us that every single person has fallen short of his glory and has gone astray. God has taught us that there is not one exception to this truth. Each has gone his own way and the Lord has laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. We have a major sin problem before God. This is his testimony. And beloved, when we deny his testimony, we show that we have no fellowship with his truth. We live outside of the light because we deny the light of God's word, saying to us, you have a major problem with sin. So John compassionately raises this issue of pride, and then he shows us a better way. Look in verse 9 again. If we will put aside our pride and simply confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess sin, the word confess just means to say the same thing as the Greek word is homologeo. It literally just means to say the same thing as. It means to agree with God. God says we have a sin problem. We say we agree. You're God, I'm not. You're right, I'm wrong. I have a problem. God says that particular thing you did there was sin. We say, Lord, I, I may understand, I may not understand, but I agree with you. I sinned. If you say I sin, I sinned. Or sometimes I've had to say to God many times, Father, forgive me because I knew exactly what I was doing. I consciously rebelled against you. I consciously wagged my finger in your face and did what I wanted to do. When we agree with God, beloved, that we have sinned, it's amazing what John promises here. It's just stunning. He says that if we'll just simply agree, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us completely, no questions asked. So what does that mean? What does that mean? For God to be faithful in the Bible almost always means that he is faithful to the covenant promises that he has made. So I think that when John is saying that if we'll confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us, what he's saying is that God is faithful to the word he spoke. Whoever puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will be forgiven all their sins forever, past, present, future, forever. God is faithful to the covenant that he made in Christ. He is not a liar. And when the Bible says that God is just, it means that God is gonna forgive our sin without making light of our sin. In some senses, beloved, God does not forgive our sin because he puts the penalty for our sin on Christ. The, the price for our sin was actually paid, and that's what I mean when I say in some sense it wasn't forgiven, it was dealt with. God is not a God who will lift up the carpet and just sweep stuff under there. Look at all that lovely stuff underneath this carpet you didn't know was there. God will not do that. There's no darkness in him. There's no speck of anything hidden anywhere in heaven. God will deal with sin. He has dealt with sin by putting it all on Christ, and Christ gladly bore it into the holy place. Not the one in Jerusalem, but the one in heaven. He made the once for all sacrifice for sin. And so God is just to forgive us. Here's what John Stott said. John Stott said, God is faithful to forgive because he has promised to do so, and he is just to forgive because his son died for our sins. Beloved, please let your heart be the heart of a child this morning. Hear the gospel like you've never heard it before. Just open up your heart and hear your Father's heart for you. If we will but simply agree with God that we have sinned, that's all we have to do. 
God will wipe all of our sin and its consequences away. And God will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God will expunge from us all the remaining darkness. God will make us fit to be in his presence. God will make us sons and daughters of light. Oh, that is such a miraculous message. And I pray that we'll have ears to hear and hearts to receive it today. Remember, the being of God dictates the morality that God commands. And since God is light, he's saying there's no place in my kingdom to hide stuff. There's no place in my kingdom for sin, none. And so, since you do have a sin problem, here's my solution. Come before me and confess your sins. Agree with me that you have a problem, and I will deal with this for you through my son. You can't remove the darkness from yourself, but I will do it for you through my son. I am light, come and be sons and daughters of light. Bring your junk into the light and watch God cleanse it away. Finally, in verse 10, John raises a third thing that's really not a separate issue. Here's what he says. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So there are a handful of commentators who think that this is a separate issue. There are a handful of commentators that say in verse eight, John is talking about people who deny our sin nature, and in verse 10, he's talking about people who deny specific sins, but I'm with the camp that thinks John is essentially saying the same thing in verse eight and verse 10. He's talking about people who deny that sin is an issue in their lives. And the difference between verse eight and verse 10 is not in the content of the problem, it's in the consequence of the problem. In verse 8, John says, if you do this, you deceive yourself. The truth is not in you. In verse 10, John says, you know what else you do? When you deny the seriousness of your sin, do you know what else you do? You make God a liar. You wag your finger in the face of the God who is light and who has never even thought a lie, but told a lie, and you tell him, you're lying. I'm the truth teller. You're the liar. Oh, that is a horrible, horrible horrible offense. When we wag our finger in God's face and tell him he's a liar, one thing we show is that his word is not in us. There is no way that the living, light-giving word of God could be in a heart that denies its own sin. When the light shines, you see all the junk that's in the room. Now I know why God allowed this to happen. I was so annoyed this morning by looking around this room and seeing that the people at Hanke have made it into a storage facility. It's driving me bananas. We even have a lift here. Someone suggested I should get in that and preach from that this morning. They said, we could do like the Puritans of old. We'll just raise you up to the ceiling, Pastor Charlie. You, But in my heart, to be honest with you, that annoys the heck out of me. I don't want to worship in a storage room. But you know, now I see maybe that in God's grace, he left all this stuff here because what he's saying is, I'm not like this. When you come into my kingdom, when you come into my light, I cleanse all this junk from your lives. When you just confess your sin, when you refuse to wag your finger in my face and say that I'm a liar, and you prove that the word of God is not in you, I just, I can't deal with all this junk, and we gotta get it out the room. We got to cleanse the room. And the reason that John does not give a verse 11, if you'll notice, there's not a compliment to this third problem. There's not John 1.11. It's because verse 9 is the same solution here. The solution to the problem of verse 10 is simply to say, God, you're right, and I'm really wrong. I've got a bunch of junk in the room of my life that does not belong here, and I have done this, Lord. 
the devil has not done this, the world has not done this, my family has not done this, my husband has not done this, my wife has not done this, my children have not done this, my school has not done this, the culture has not done this, I've done it, God. I put the junk in my life. I'm the one shaking the feather on my neck. I'm the one shaking the rattlers in my own ears. I have alienated myself from you, oh God. I agree with you. I confess my sin to you. When you do that, beloved, you come under the waterfall of his grace and he forgives you, he cleanses you, he shapes you into his light and he gives you his light. The truth of the being of God determines the reality of what, the nature of what he commands. It determines the nature of morality. And since God is light, he's saying, listen, I will not tolerate this. I will not tolerate you denying that there's all kinds of junk in the room of your life. I will not tolerate you denying that you have a sin problem. When you do that, you deceive yourself and you call me a liar. That's not okay with me. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to just be honest and say, yep, I got a bunch of junk over there that doesn't belong there. God, I don't know what to do about it. I can't lift that thing, I don't have the key to it. I have no way, I have no idea how to get this junk out of here. And God says, don't worry about that, I got your back. I got the key, I've got the strength, I've got the team, don't worry about it. It's all done for you in Christ. Just agree with me, just agree with me. And I will cleanse your life, and cleanse your life and cleanse your life. Beloved, this is the beauty, the hope, the joy of living in the light of God. There is an inalterable link between the authority of God, the truth of God, and the morality that God commands. The wolves in John's church sought to refashion these things. The wolves in our culture are also seeking to do the same thing. And so John faithfully and humbly and boldly reasserted the truth of God's authority of God's revelation and of God's morality so that we would know God and experience the fullness of his joy. That's what he really wants. It's like come into the light, confess your sin, and you're gonna know a joy that you cannot describe. To claim that we have no sin, beloved, is to kill our joy. We think that embracing our sin is the path to joy, it's actually the death of joy. But just to come into God's presence and say, you're right, I'm wrong, I got nothing, you got everything. That is the path to joy, because with that, with that simple, humble confession, the waters of the grace of God in Christ begin to flow, they begin to forgive, they begin to cleanse. And so, let us receive the authority of God today. Let us not reject the Apostle John and the words he has said here. Let us receive the vision of God's being that he has laid out before us, that God our Father is light and in him is no darkness at all. Let us receive John's loving rebuke and, and analysis of our souls with regard to our sin. And beloved, let's just simply confess, God, you're right. We have a sin problem and we want you to do away with that problem in Christ so that we can walk with you and talk with you and have fellowship with you so that we can be people of light and life and so that we can have your eternal joy. Father, I love you for being a God of light, and I love you for being a God who does not crush us with light, but who invites us into the light because you crushed your son. You crushed him on our behalf so that we could live in your presence. And God, I don't know what's happening in everybody's heart in this room. I know over this week you have used these words so powerfully in my life, but I just pray that you would shine the floodlight of your truth into our hearts so that we would come into the light and confess our sins and know your joy. Father, your word has been preached, and now I pray that you would make it run with power, 
so that your name would be glorified and our hearts would be satisfied in you. In Jesus' name, we thank you for what you've already done this morning, and we thank you for what you will continue to do. Amen.